You're listening to the Hollyview Podcast, a message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. And now, here's this week's message on the Hollyview Podcast. Have you guys ever been reading a book and you get to the middle and you kind of get lost in, in where you're going and you're like, man, this isn't making any, any sense. Uh, and so you flip to the last chapter of the book to kind of see where, where the story is going to end. If it's going to be a happy ending or a sad ending, uh, maybe you get lost in the middle with a little bit of a fog, like what just happened there? Uh, and so you flip to the end and you get some direction to give you some encouragement to keep going through the book. You, you'll kind of know uh, how it's going to end. Well, these next four weeks, that's what I want to do with the Bible. It's a huge book. And what I want to do is I just want to flip to the very end of it, the last two chapters, and it'll kind of give us a, a point of how, the, how does the story end? What's the destiny of uh, Christians and, and people in Christ? Now, we're not going to be looking at the whole book of Revelation. Uh, we're just going to be looking at the two chapters uh, and hopefully get a clear vision of the destination towards the end of which we're striving and what God has prepared uh, for us. Um, Randy Alcorn, who lives around here, he has Eternal Perspective Ministries, he did this huge thesis on the book of, of heaven. Uh, and if you are really interested, we have a copy and I, I can give you a copy to read. Uh, but he begins his book, his thesis on heaven, this biblical look uh, of what heaven is with this story about Florence Chadwick. There was a lady, who, she was a great swimmer, and she uh, got in the Pacific Ocean off the island of uh, Catalina, which was 47 miles away from California mainland, and she was determined to swim that whole length of uh, the ocean. She'd already swum the English Channel, uh, and so uh, she was ready and prepared to, to swim this as well. Well, on the day that she made the swim, it was foggy, and it was, it was chilly, and so uh, she couldn't even see, there was a boat accompanying her the whole, the whole time, and oftentimes she couldn't even see that boat because it was, it was so foggy. For 15 hours she swam in the ocean, this chilly ocean. For 15 hours uh, she uh, was striving towards the end goal of the coastline of California. She was almost there, and then she just was completely exhausted, wiped out, and the boat next to her, she says, hey, just pull me out. I'm done. I can't, I can't go on anymore. Her mother, who was in the boat, kept encouraging her, you're almost there, just a little bit longer. Just keep swimming just a little bit. You're just there. You're almost there. And so she tried for a little bit longer and then finally had to give up. So they pulled her into the boat. And as they were pulling her to the boat, she, fog cleared and she could see the shoreline was only like a half a mile away. She had sw swam 47 miles and, and almost got there, uh, but had to be pulled in just before. She said in a news conference the next day, all I could see was the fog. If I could have seen the shoreline, I might have made it. All I could see was the fog. I just needed to, to see the shoreline to give me that extra energy. Well, in the same way, I think that, that most people 
have a difficult time seeing or picturing or knowing uh, what that shoreline is, what, what the future is after you die. What's the end of the story of the Bible? Um, it's like we're often just looking into the fog. So, so we have an incomplete story or maybe a bad image or a bad picture, or maybe you're at the place where you just don't even want to think about it. And we just ignore the fact that we're going to die because we don't know. And what could we know? Uh, so, so we just ignore it. And, and, and that's it. Well, Hollywood, uh, it often gives us a picture in movies or shows or whatever of when you die that you like float off, uh, maybe with some wings or something into the clouds and you get a harp and, and that's what heaven is. This like disembodied state in the clouds somewhere else with, with harps, but that's not the picture the Bible will give us today. It's so much more amazing and beautiful than you could ever imagine. For those who are in Christ, it's everything your heart is longing for. We're going to see that's what heaven is. Today, we're going to look at Revelation. We're just going to look at uh, the first eight verses in the chapter 21. So if you have a Bible, uh, Revelation 21, the first eight verses. We're going to consider three things about our eternal home. The end of the story of the Bible. The first thing we'll see is what it's not. Then we'll see what it is. And the last one, we'll, we'll see where it's at. So what it's not, what it is, and where it's at. And it's not two turntables and a microphone for those where it's at. Does anyone? Okay. <laughs> what it's not, where it, what it is, and then where it's at. So the book of Revelation, I don't know. How many of you read the book of Revelation? It's one of the most fascinating, intriguing books of the Bible. When I was in, uh, like a young Christian in my teens, I, I read the book of Revelation several times because it's just this mystery that you want to kind of unpack. And I was hoping to see like, boy, maybe I can unlock the code uh, and figure it out, find out who the Antichrist is and if it's Bill Gates and if Y2K is really going to be the end of the world. And unfortunately, I think I, like most people, read the book of Revelation before I'd ever picked up the book of Ezekiel, or I'd ever read the book of Zechariah or Isaiah. Uh, I hadn't really uh, read the book of Revelation giving a thoughtful read and approach to Leviticus 26. I think many people do that. They spend lots of time in Revelation before uh, ever going back and, and seeing the stories and the images that John the Revelator, that he had in his, his mind. For me, it was just mysterious and kind of intriguing. Uh, and I had no idea it was saturated by John, who, who had these images of the sacred scriptures uh, from the Old Testament. You know, I mostly ignored the fact that John was 2,000 years ago in a different culture, in a different language. I, I just understood, uh, boy, this is exciting reading. And, and so I'd read it, and the first seven letters I would kind of get, kind of understand, and then all of a sudden we'd get to these like bulls and trumpets and horsemen, and by that time I was lost in the fog. And maybe you are like that as well. Well, as much as we want to over these next four weeks, there's no way we could unpack what happens all in that messy middle in the book of Revelation. I just want to look at the last two chapters. You know, there's over 500 references in the, God, in the book of Revelation to the Old Testament. And so to do service, to jump into that messy part in the middle, I, I don't even feel prepared to do that, for one. 
And the second thing, I think it'd be wise for us as a congregation before we do that, and maybe we'll do that in the future, but that we know the book of Zechariah really well. We, we know the themes of, of Ezekiel and how it flows and the images that are there. We know the book of Isaiah and the themes. We know Daniel and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. We know the Old Testament uh, really well. So we're not going to answer all your questions this morning. I just want to jump at the very end because I do think there is a vision and an image for the destination, our eternal home, that's pretty clear in the book of Revelation and that can give us energy to put our hands to the plow and work today, can give us hope to follow the Lord. So flip with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation chapter 21, and let's consider the first eight verses. We'll look at our eternal home, what it's not, what it is, and where it's at. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us a clear vision of the hope and the future that we have in you? Lord, would, would we see the shoreline for what it is? Would we see the, the hope and the redemption of all things in you, Lord? And would that give us energy and hope and excitement for, for right here and now? And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that hasn't considered their eternal home, where, where, where are they going to go after they die? Lord, I pray that this message would, um, would poke their hearts, would bring them to you the things that they're longing for would be fulfilled and satisfied in you. So I pray that we do, we would hear this morning. We would see this morning. You'd soften our hearts that we'd understand and be able to respond to it. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Our eternal home. First thing I want to consider what it's not. You probably have this vision or, or at least some picture in your head of, of how it's all going to end, either, either from Hollywood or a movie or a, or a book or maybe just something you have in your, in your mind. And I want to encourage you with that picture. I want you to compare it to the picture that the Bible is, is presenting before us through the vision of John. See, John sees 
a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth have passed away, and there is now no more sea. So what, what exactly does a new heaven and a new earth look like? I mean, does he just throw the first one away and start again? I mean, this world's pretty broken. And why does he say there's no more sea? You hear that, no more sea, and you're thinking, uh, what am I going to do with my boat? Am I not going to go fishing anymore? Uh, uh, should we buy property on the coastline to watch the, the waves come in? If there's no more sea, what's he, what's he talking about? It feels random, doesn't it? First thing, what, it's, what our eternal home is not. Well, the book of Revelation, it, it's a, uh, apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature, we, we find that in the prophets of the Old Testament as well. And what that does is that uses these dramatic images to, to give us meanings. It communicates meanings through, through what we see oftentimes. And, and there's this back and forth in the book of Revelation on what we see and then what we hear, the meaning of it. And that's what we're going to see again this morning. I, I honestly think if you're, if you're worried that there's not going to be any more uh, sailing or um, skiing in, in the new heaven, the new earth, I think you'll be just fine. I think there is going to be bodies of water. Um, I, think, I think all those things are going to be there. But there is something that's going to be missing because there is no more sea. So let me, let me explain. Uh, the fact that there is no more sea has a huge significant meaning for John and also for the first hearers of this as well. Did you ever stop to think, uh, why does he tell us what he doesn't see? If he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, that, that means what's, what's outside of heaven and earth? He said, I saw a new everything. And yet I'm going to point out this one thing that I didn't see that's missing, that's not there in our story. Uh, because he is comparing this uh, new heaven and new earth to the first heaven and the first earth. Uh, he says, I saw the sea here in this first one. I don't see the sea in this new one. So why is that important? What's he trying to communicate? I think we need to take a moment and step back into the very beginning of the story and the first page of uh, the Bible. For John to say what's not there means that he's comparing it to this first one, that he has both of these images in mind from the first page to the last pages. The story of God, it begins and ends actually in a very similar way. So Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. Now the earth, what's, what's down here, what we see, what we live on, it was, it was formless and void. And the spirit of God was hovering over the deep waters and, and darkness covered the face of the waters. So the first heavens and first earth were, were covered by two things. Do you see them? There were two things there. The, the first heaven and earth, there was water and there was darkness. It was not a place for life. It was no garden. There was no commune with, with people. So, so God embarks to create a place for life. And he actually takes and says, let there be light. And he separates the light from the darkness. And then he separates the waters from the waters. He makes sky. And he separates the waters from the land. He doesn't get rid of the, the darkness or the water. But we'll see in the end, he is going to get rid of those. The, the darkness and uh, the waters. 
Now for, uh, God doesn't just get rid of the darkness and the waters as a place for life. He, he actually shapes them and separates them to be used for his good purposes. And they're, and they're integral in the story of the Bible. But for most of us, we, we like water. We like going to the coast. We like skiing and tubing and swimming. But if you were someone who lived in the Bible times and you heard the term sea, we're going to the sea, you might actually have some PTSD going along with that. Um, see, when humanity was so violent in the times of Noah, God sends a, a flood. He sends the water to bring justice and he drowns all these people. Uh, and only one man and his family are saved. Uh, water was, was a judgment. You couldn't live in the, the flood. When the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt as a type of like population control, the Pharaoh said, throw all the babies into the water and have them drown. Do you think you'd have some PTSD from that? When Israel leaves Egypt, God directs them not to go north, but to go actually uh, southeast, right to this Red Sea. And, and there, standing at the Red Sea, the armies come in and are about to destroy Israel. So they have, are, they're faced with death from the water or death from the army. But God opens up the way and they walk across on dry ground and get to the other side. But when Egypt and his army, goes, they go through, the waters drown them. That's traumatic. Water in the sea, it, it, it's a place of like chaos and, and evil and darkness and, and vulnerability in all those places. The image of the, the sea for most of humanity through time meant evil, wild, chaos, death. The disciples were no different. Remember when they're on the sea with Jesus and the storm comes up and those disciples, they're, they're afraid we're going to die. They don't know what's down there in the water. They know God's created these great sea monsters that are down there and those could kill them. They could drown. The sea was a horrible place. Well, it says, John, he looks and he sees this vision that there is no more seas. And then he hears the meaning. What's that mean that there is no more seas? It tells us in verse four. He said, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. We know what our eternal home is not. It's not filled with evil and chaos. It's not filled with abuse and destructions that we face today. There's no more cancer. There's no more car wrecks. There's no more sorrow or sickness, no more destruction or division or backbiting or gossip. No more spaces that are scary and chaotic. And John says this is, there was no more sea. Can you picture it? No more sea. The things of this world that break your heart, that drag you down, that, that leave you just wanting just a little more. It's done. Our eternal home is not the broken world that we have today. That's good news. So the next question, our eternal home, well, what is it then? Well, what's it like? And, and John's overarching uh, metaphor or picture or word for this is new. John says, I see a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And then you get to the verse five at the end. And again, he has another behold. What's this, what's this mean? A new heaven and a new earth, new Jerusalem. He says, behold, I am making all things new. All things new. Now notice he doesn't say 
I am making all new things. Do you see that? He doesn't say, I'm just obliterating that and I'm making all new things. He's saying, I'm making all things new. In fact, he even gives us a reference point for how we're even supposed to imagine or dream about that. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's eternal home. Well, we know, we know what it's like out there. We know what it's like down here for the most part. We know what we've experienced and tasted, what those moments of delight and peace and enjoyment, satisfaction, we've experienced those here on earth. And that, that new earth is going to be freed from the pain, the hurt, the discouragement, the frustration. This new earth and new heaven is going to be a world without sin, a new earth. It, it's new by taking away the, the bad. It's like now with less preservatives, a new earth. Uh, the English actually fails us at this moment. See, in Greek, there are two words for new. We have one word, new and new. Uh, two words for new. One of them has to deal with, with time, and one of them deals with quality. One with time, one with quality. We translate the first one, new, as in a new baby, uh, new, in, new in time. It's, it's new something. It's something that's at its beginnings. The other word is what the word we find here in the book of Revelation. It's kainos. It has to do with quality. Uh, we also see it translated in the Bible as fresh. You know, after eight hours of sleep, I'm a new man. Doesn't mean I'm a baby. It means there's a qualitative difference in who I am. The new heaven and new earth are not new in terms of time, but new in quality. There's a difference there is a removal. There's a passing away of this layer of sin and brokenness in the first that, that's, that's becoming new. It's as if what we see and experience here on earth is all through this like filter or this film or these glasses of, of sin and brokenness and chaos. And when the new heavens and new earth come, that's all going to be passing away. It's going to be gone and we're going to see and experience things new. Um, this idea, it's, a, it's the same idea as at work in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, kainos, new in quality. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You hear those same ideas, uh, the new and the passing away of the old and the new creation. Well, if you're in Christ, you are being made new. The, the beauty and times of peace and fulfillment you have experienced in your life then are just foretaste of the glory that is yet to be revealed when, when the new heavens and the new earth consummate. In that new heavens and the new earth, the mountains, will there'll be no more earthquakes. There'll be, there'll be no more tornadoes destroying things in the sky. Relationships, there'll be no more deception or jealousy or insecurities. Discoveries with the wonder of it all with, without the, the struggle of frustration and pain. So what is our eternal home like? Well, there's some continuity and there's some discontinuity. There's a reference point to what we have 
here, what we've experienced here, but there's also a discontinuity of something far greater than you can ever comprehend. He is making all things new, a fresh new earth. Our eternal home, we, we, we know it's free of the brokenness. Uh, we know it's new, this qualitative new uh, that invites us to, to come and imagine and dream and where it's at. John sees a new Jerusalem that, that looks like a, a bride in this image and it's coming down out of heaven to earth. He sees uh, Jerusalem as a bride coming down to earth, and then, then he hears. It's the same imagery. He sees, and then he hears, and this voice helps him give meaning. In verse 3, it says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. The dwelling of God is with man. The picture of the new Jerusalem coming as a bride means that God is once again pursuing his people in relationship and intimacy to dwell with them. Now notice it doesn't say that the dwelling of man is with God. Uh, that's how we often picture it. The dwelling of man is with God. This says that, that God himself will come and dwell with humanity. It's God dwelling with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. Uh, even that, speaking of nations coming in, there's this unity and diversity in this new heavens and the new earth. And God himself will be with them as their God. There's this intimacy and relational, there's meaning behind it. We're experiencing all these things in a new heaven and a new earth in deep fellowship and relationship. The end of the Christian story is not about believers going to heaven when they die and leaving this world behind. Do you see that in the text? It's not about us going away. That's not the end. That's just the, the resting point in the middle. That disembodied of real, the disembodied reality that we see in the movies is not the shoreline to which we're striving. You know, I like that old hymn, I'll Fly Away, O Glory. It's got a nice beat, right? I'll fly away, O Glory. I'll. But that's a truncated view of the story of God. Yes, we'll fly away and we'll be with Jesus because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that's not the shoreline. That's not the destination to which God is preparing and, and calling us. The Bible paints a much different picture. The end of the story that we just read about in the last chapters is heaven coming to earth and God coming to dwell with man. The end of the story, our eternal home, is not that you will float away to heaven but that God will at the end of time bring his bride to meet and join up with the people that are left, to, to be his bride as well. That will be this intimacy relationship to dwell with them on the new earth. Like God walking with people in like a garden, like Adam and Eve. So if the eternal home prepared for those who trust in Jesus, if it's, if it's not broken and chaotic and evil, but it is new, this qualitative newness, it's free of pain and sadness, then what do we do to do now? Well, the voice tells John to do one more thing. He, he sees, he hears, and the next thing the voice tells him to do, he says, write this down. Respond. I want you to move and respond to this. He says, the story has been written. It's done. 
it's secure. It's, it's over. I'm the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. The story has been written. Now, what are you going to do? He says, write this down. Everyone who thirsts, come to Jesus. Everyone who is living on this first heaven and first earth, and yet there is this longing inside of you, and you know something's not right. He says, that's right. That's right. Come to me, and I will satisfy that. And I will bring uh, the things that you long for the things that you've tasted and seen. Uh, there's so much more ahead for you if you come and have relationship with me. So all you who are thirsty, those who are not content, who long for something more, who mourn for the brokenness and sin in our world, come to Jesus. He is going to make all things new. As you deal with health issues or heartbreaks over relationships, uh, longing for something more. Let it teach us to pray. The prayer that Jesus taught all of us, that we know, but it's an eschatological prayer. Jesus taught us to pray with the shoreline in mind. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Not let us leave this broken world. Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to pray with the end in mind, this last chapter in mind, the shoreline, if you will. Your kingdom come. Why? To heal and mend and fix this broken world. And I think if we have that shoreline, that end, the biblical end of the story in mind, it'll give us strength and perseverance, not to just hold out until we can leave this broken world, but that we would pray Lord, your kingdom come. And he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Us. And all of a sudden, we as Christians aren't waiting to leave this world. We're hands and feet that bring the kingdom of God here in little spaces all around us until God finally sends Jesus as the great bridegroom to consummate this marriage feast and brings in a new heaven and a new earth. But until that time, we as believers... We are being made as new creations. We are little pieces of this new heaven and new earth. The new, the new heaven, new earth, the eternal home, it's prepared for each one of us who conquers. But for all the broken, for all the wild, chaotic wickedness, there's a much different destiny. And I think it, it wouldn't be right if I didn't go without warning each one of us here this morning. Have you considered what your destiny is? Have you let Hollywood and the movies say what the truth is, what you're going to believe about the destiny of things? Or have you actually in, for yourself investigated and know for certain where are you going to go when you die? There, there's a real decision to be made. And knowing that end, that it's finished, uh, will hopefully prick our spirits, not, not, not to... Uh, um, not to be against it, but to see the glory that is on hand that Jesus is inviting us all into. And if we're believers, this idea of your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, Lord. What, what's that look like in your families, uh, in your schools when you go back, in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, 
every time we feel that brokenness, uh, that division, that quarreling, that the the political just ugliness, would we just, before we do anything, respond in any way, we would just stop and pray, your kingdom come, Lord. Teach me how to adequately reflect this new kingdom, this new creation that you're doing inside of me. I'm going to pray, but um, before we do, there are a bunch of these little heaven books that Randy Alcorn has graciously given to us. Uh, They're all back on that table back there. So if you want to leave, uh, it's just biblical answers to common questions. Um, There's also a huge like thesis book. If you want to, if you want to grab that, let me know. Um, We have an extra copy or two of that as well. If you're really like into seminary level classes. Uh, but this, this kind of um, will give you a, more, a little bit picture of what that new heaven and new earth is, is like. So, so grab that. That's a gift for you as well. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll ask the worship team to come back up. Lord, as we um, spend time looking at the eternal home for everyone who believes in you, Lord, I pray that everyone here uh, would be on that journey to know you, um, to love you, to follow you. And Lord, if they don't, Lord, would there be somebody in their lives that would uh, help guide them, help get to know you better? And Lord, would we uh, be a people and a church that that reflects the new creation that is being uh, made in all of us? And Lord, would we strive to the best of our abilities uh, until you consummate the end of time with the new heavens and the new earth and you make all things new? that longing drive us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Hollyview Podcast. Please join us for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast.